excited to have uh, one of my fellow BGB team leads today, Ms. Carmen Mays of Elevates. And so, Carmen, we start every interview here at my BFF with tell us who you are and why you do what you do. Awesome. So my name is Carmen Mays. As you can tell from my accent, I am from well below the Mason-Dixon line in Birmingham, Alabama. I born and raised. I am an entrepreneur by accident. Uh, my company started as a protest um, to the non-inclusion of Black, primarily Black creatives and Black entrepreneurs and um, the burgeoning innovation economy uh, here in Birmingham. Um, over the years, um, I've grown and evolved, and so has my company. And my um, real focus has been to overall make sure that creative people have the tools and opportunities to do what they love for a living. So my approach to workforce development or community economic development is bottom up, not top down. I don't believe in a philosophy of tax incentives to woo large corporations, to give mediocre jobs to people in our communities that may not even pay a living wage. I'm more interested in folks' self-determination and them having a say over their life and how it goes and using their God-given skills and talents to make a living in a way that supports their values and supports our community. You know, I, I love what you said as far as I, being an entrepreneur by accident, right? Um, starting at a protest. What was, was there a specific protest? What, what was it, or were there, was there a specific accident? Yeah, so I had um, returned after a stint of being away probably almost five years. Um, from Birmingham, and I was, I had been here for a while, about six or seven months, but I was finally re-emerging um, <laughs> into social society. And I was hearing these things about innovation. You know, we're going to do innovation, innovation. There's all this talk about, you know, we want to get into the tech space. Now, mind you, this was way back in like 2017, and what you got to understand about Birmingham is um, Birmingham is a mid-sized city, very famous city, but it is a mid-sized city. And so while in Atlanta, where I had also lived prior to returning to Birmingham, they had already done this stuff. Um, this was something that was already in the works, like the, the manifest, the, not the manifestation, but the, well, yeah, the manifestation, the, the things that we see now in Atlanta, had been like worked on like for years and years and years. So I had familiarity with what they were talking about. And so I was like, cool, but let's do it different. Since we are just starting out, let's make sure that we actually have an equitable um, ecosystem. Let's make sure that, you know, Birmingham is well over 70% black, just black. That doesn't include all the other people of color, just black people. Um, and so I just couldn't understand why I wasn't seeing black people places or why I wasn't seeing events or organizations that were black women and black serving, participating. I wasn't seeing events that were culturally relevant or put on by black people um, 
that involved all aspects of Black communities. Uh, Birmingham has a rich tradition of Black creatives. Uh, Kara James Marshall was born in Birmingham, Sonia Sanchez, um, Sun Ra, Angela Davis. So there's this great tradition of Black folks with all this kind of talent, not to mention um, the industrial past that we have, that we share with Detroit, Cleveland, uh, Pittsburgh as, you know, being a, a steel town, an industrial town. So I was just like, where everybody at? Like, where the Black folks at? <laughs> and so I, I wasn't getting satisfactory response. I think it may have been like one of the first times they'd ever gotten pushback from somebody in the community. Um, because, I mean, well, shoot, I guess I just go ahead and say it. You know, because uh, usually like a lot of, like some Black folks just really just be happy in the room, happy to be in the room and they're not there to actually represent the needs, wants, desires of their community. They're just like, I'm the Negro of the day and I finally made it to the top of this building in here with these people. And I'm not really interested in, you know, messing that up. I'm the flavor. I'm the flavor. Of the, I'm the flavor of the week. I'm the flavor of the day. I'm flavor of the month. I'm in the room, and right. if you can't, if you're not in the room, I don't know what to tell you, right? And we got too many folks operating like that. Exactly. So I was like, yeah, I don't like this. So, so what I did was I planned events that ran concurrent um, to their event, but it focused on black creatives and entrepreneurs. And I had the hardest time raising money. I'm not gonna lie. It was very difficult because again, I was doing something that was very much against the grain. I was very loud about it. Um, and people don't, like people don't believe us. Like some millennials are old people. Like we're in our late thirties and early forties now. Watch yourself, um, watch yourself. <laughs> Yeah, we're old people now. But like even with back then and uh, with this generation Gen Z behind us, there was just this thought that, you know, oh, we'll grow out of it. Like people like are still waiting for us to quote unquote grow out of it um, and just fall in line with the status quo. And I think that was a lot of people's idea about young folks, particularly young black folks. Oh, they just, you know, as old folks, they just keep living. And then eventually, you know, we'll abandon all of our hopes, dreams and things and just fall into this, you know, line of working for a company for 30 years and then getting our watch and just, you know, going home with bad knees. And, and that's not happening. It didn't happen then. It's still not happening. And so um, needless to say, the events were very successful. I mean, I, the comments that I got, particularly from young black people about being seen, being heard, people actually being interested in what they wanted as opposed to just being dictated to about this is what you're gonna do or this is how you make it. Um, you know, people wanting a different path but not feeling supported in getting it. And so I, I was like, well, this is cool. But I didn't like, after I did those first three events, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go back and find me you know, my local government job that I trained for in graduate school and just go back and work for somebody's city or county. I didn't intend to keep this up, but um, I was convinced to do so. And fast forward a couple iterations later, here I am. And so, um, so, so Carmen, how long, how long have you been in business now? Um, how about three years, three to four years? Okay. 
saying? And what, and what were you doing? What was the government job that you were? Yes, I worked for, I, I used to work for various, a couple cities, counties. Um, I also worked for some nonprofits, but my area of focus was community economic development and transit equity. So mm-hmm. I worked a lot with, you know, my native, I was uh, in charge of minority business development for one place. I was, you know, doing transit equity and work in Atlanta. Um, all kind of stuff. <laughs> you're, out, you're a Birmingham native, though, right? I am. I'm a Birmingham native. So it's, you know, it's interesting we have so much in common because I came from the nonprofit sector as well. And I used to do um, DBE certification at Trane University. Um, and it's interesting hearing your story because you're talking about these events and, and, and you don't know um, you really don't know what the plan is and I tell people all the time that that time of working 30 years and getting your watch has really passed um, you know, my mom worked 30 years at uh, the Philadelphia Corporation for Aging and got her watch and um and her pension and all that kind of stuff but that 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 era um has really passed largely because of the lack of industries you know philly was a big manufacturing um area as well at one point you know i could tell you uh, all the different companies botany 500 and tasty cake and all these other different companies that used to be in philly that are all vacant now and really blighted areas of our of our community where people could walk to work or they've been gentrified mm-hmm. right and so um when i hear your story i'm just totally fascinated by it. what did you see were some of the um in the creative space, what kind of creatives and innovators did you really see begin to emerge uh, as you moved forward with, with Elevate? Like the thing is, it's like these people were emerging. These people were always here. So Birmingham has a very rich musical tradition. We literally have a park that has the Temptations in it because Eddie Kendricks of the Temptations is from Birmingham. Um, so. It was, it was really weird to me because this is, I mean, the, the first black high school that was started in the early 1900s in Birmingham, because I guess black kids just didn't go to high school before then. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure on that history. I need to research that. But the, the one thing that they've always had was a band. Like that, I mean, they've had a band. I mean, I remember when I was like a little girl, I was in Jet Magazine. I had to be like, seven or something. I still had like, you know, when your front teeth come in, it's still big in your face. Um, I had those teeth and I was in Jet Magazine because Lionel Hampton, who apparently was is a famous, very famous jazz musician, which I didn't know at the time. <laughs> you know, he came to Birmingham to be inducted into the Jazz Hall of Fame. I danced as a child, I did liturgical dance and ballet and things that we performed. And so it's a picture of me and him in, in Jet with some of the other young ladies, which I had no context for until I got much older. And so it, it was just always strange to me because here we have this very present history of art and music and tactical expertise. And I mean, sewing, I mean, some of the best lace making and dress making you have ever seen 
and all these things and people was really trying to just like pretend like that wasn't important and you know i was just like but why <laughs> but these are all very present things um and so i don't know why they were choosing to ignore it or why people thought that there were things that were better than that and i'm like there is nothing better than that there is nothing better then there's a young man here who's a great trumpeter. Like I'm, I'm very much fascinated by the brass. It's like I love trumpets, trombones, cornets. Like I love that sound. Um, I'm also a big blues fan because of my grandparents. So I love that sound. And like just like to hear these young people play their instruments, to hear them explore different sounds and discover new cultures through music, and collaborate and just make these things. Um, to see the fashion that these folks come up with, the design, like, it excites me um, in a way that finance does not, in a way that high tech companies does not. Like, I don't get excited about tech companies and things like that. Like, I'm just like, eh, you like, whatever. Cause that doesn't really do anything. It doesn't stir my soul. Not like the arts do, not like the creative industries do. And I've always just like this idea particularly for Black people and other people, particularly and Indigenous people. Like, we never get to make money off of our culture. Everybody profits off of our culture except for us. But I couldn't understand why we weren't willing to support these people in a way that they could express themselves and our culture and make a living from it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff, Carmen. That, that is so good. I want to thank you all for allowing Sonia Sanchez to become a part of us, because you know she lives in Philly now and has for some time. And so um, I've met her on more than one occasion. In fact, I took a, we, um, we had, what was it? It was an event. We had a couple, we, oh, we do this thing called open streets where there's no buses loud for like miles of where our public transportation is run. And she was out there just, you know, hanging out <laughs> with, with everybody else. And so thank you. Thank you out. Thank you, Birmingham, for, for, for Sonya Sanchez. Cause she's- We give a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we give a lot. Like I tell people like Birmingham produces some of the baddest black women on the planet. And it also produces a toxic environment where those black women cannot stay. Wow. And so- that's hard you know, <laughs> we end up sharing them with the world because they don't have a choice. <laughs> you know, it's like a lot of people talk that free Angela now, but let me tell you, at the time in Birmingham, it was a lot of people who really wasn't feeling her. And I know that's probably town business that I'm telling, but I just want to make the point that, you know, a lot of the things that we have ended up sharing with the world not that we stand your people, but we ended up sharing them with y'all because these people literally could not stay. You know, if you've ever heard Kerry James Marshall talk about his time in Birmingham, he could not stay. Um, and, you know, I love his paintings. I'm, a, I'm like in love with all of his paintings. I love that he literally paints his people black, <laughs> like the color black, because he wants you to know these are black people in these museums. Um, I love the detail. Like, so there's just like so many influences and so many things that, you know, Birmingham and Alabama has given, but we've given it because, not because we were like, here, we want to share these people with you, but because we created an environment where these people, particularly creatives, could not stay. And so Carmen, what are some of the things that you're doing with elevators that are um, disrupting the ecosystem there in, in Birmingham? Well, 
But one of the things I like to make black people very visible, um, which may sound weird because like black people all over man, you are over 70 percent black. But that's just also not the case. Like so when we, the development that's happening, the restaurants, rooftop bars, um, they're not they're we're not their customers, strangely enough. Um, and we've been in discussion about this, particularly since last summer, where I have like I made a um an air table where I cataloged local companies' um, statements and photographs about what they were gonna do about racial equity in the wake of um, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others. And so I was like, well, now is a good time to talk about like how like how these breweries ain't checking for us and how, you know, these new restaurants that are popping up have like we're not who they're doing these things for yet we are in closest proximity to them and maybe we need to talk about what that means um that you can essentially like build a city within a city that people are close to but cannot access and that people who are not close can come in and access um i mean that that was one thing i got some interesting responses about that spreadsheet that air table yeah, I, mean, um, I remember the Airtable spreadsheet. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I remember it well. And so you, you you got some interesting responses to that. Did you get any money? <laughs> did you get any support? Like, so I did end up getting some some uh, contracts, like um, some some clients out of it, the idea, and had some very interesting conversations with people about what their idea of help is. Right, so. <laughs> I tell people, we're talking about changing the material conditions of people's lives. I'm talking about if you are a store, where do you buy your supplies from? If you do retail, what Black-owned brands are being sold in your in your store, on your website? Um, how do Black people experience your business? Do Black people feel welcome there? Is there any type of cultural nod? So that black people could feel like they're a part of this, or are we just visiting white culture in white space? Um, and I think that for a lot of folks, they had never really thought about in depthly like what it means to be anti-racist, as opposed to just not saying the N-word or just quote unquote not being racist, which is not a thing, right? So either you're racist or you're anti-racist. And a lot of people wanted to like live in this imaginary gray area where they're like, well, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing anything to black people. And it's like, that's not what that means. It means that every day in your life and in your business, you are figuring out how to be anti-racist all the time. All the time. All the time. It's not just, you know, putting black folks in, in your pictures, you know, as a black person, what is my experience? What are you talking to your staff about? How are you training your staff? Um, you know, where are you buying your stuff? You know, how, what are you selling? You know, what organizations do you support meaningfully? Um, and you know, what are you doing for your own personal growth? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What new revelations have you come to understand about whiteness right. um, over the past year? And that's not the kind of push that we've, we've seen. We've seen a lot of symbolic gestures and things like that, but um, very few of those companies have actually like 
really like done something. Well, that 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 aligns with exactly what you're saying. Aligns with um, the study that came out, I guess, earlier, I guess, yesterday or last week, um, that from the Creative Investment Research, right? That American corporations pledged to spend fifty billion dollars in racial equality since George Floyd's murder. Um, but according to the tally of public promises, um, funds were to spread between donations to civil rights organizations, which are always mean nothing to me personally. Um, targeted investments in communities of color, overhaul of internal recruiting and training programs, internal corporate America, and all that kind of stuff. Yet only 250 billion has actually been spent or committed to a specific initiative and come up with that analysis. So that ties directly, it's not just in Birmingham, that is that is a national survey that speaks directly to what you're saying relative to the, the gestures. And that's what they basically end up amounting to, um, our gestures. And I remember when the Goldman Sachs thing came out and my first, my first post, I was like, um, so yeah, where's this money going? And then we go to, I went online to the first listening party that they had, right? And they had all of the regular players, and I ain't gonna name no names, you know, they all of the, you know, all the same old, same olds that were there. Um, and I have a friend that runs the Goldman Sachs 100, um, or 10,000 small businesses here in Philly. I said, how do we get this money? <laughs> so I just wanna know, because <laughs> somebody tell me, like is there an application what is the process and i'm not coming at none of my sororities or none of that but you know again it's the same people and 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 mommy business operates much like elevators does with the bottom-up approach i you know i and i'm trying to say if it's not coming to the bottom and working its way up then what are we doing it's, what are we doing it's just gestures I agree. I agree. I think, you know, one of the things I appreciated about Facebook is they just gave Black people money directly. Yep. Um, and that, that just seems to be such a hurdle for so many other businesses. That's like, what about do? Just give me some money. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, you don't have to, don't check up on it. Don't worry about what I'm doing with it. Just write me the money and walk off. And I think so much of the, the programming is designed to still maintain control. So... It's not about, oh, like, cause I mean, again, if you're going to give it away, just give it. Like, just start writing checks to random Black people. Yeah, and be like, you know, we apologize. It's, it's <laughs> one thing I love about the Black black innovation that that, that, that you're a part of and I'm a part of, um, finding ways, and I think they're legitimately trying to find ways to just, just get people to just write checks. Like, I mean, you know, and it always seems like when it comes to this kind of stuff, we got to jump through hurdles. Like, I mean, hurdles and hoops that are literally on fire. Wow. Okay. That are literally on fire. Right. I mean, it's it's really, to me, like, it really, like, there's a lot of talk within the philanthropic community about this. You know, from a local government perspective, I always tell people, you know, we wouldn't need public-private partnership if we had an equitable tax code. (laughs) We have enough money for all this stuff. But what it does, it creates undue influence for a select few people on the direction of other folks' lives, right? So if I'm running my business and then you come out with this program, like there's not like, and I talk about Facebook because like it was the, it was simple. 
Philadelphia's here for them. <laughs> Yeah, was it? Yeah, right. It was, it, it, it was like they didn't really get into much. Just fill out this here form, answer these questions, and then like a few months later, there's a mysterious deposit, and you just moved on with your life. <laughs> but you know, like there's always these ways of trying to figure out how to continue to control the money, and by extension, black folks through philanthropy. So. Even though we're saying, hey, we need money for X, Y, and Z. If you have a foundation or you are a billionaire or whatever, and you decide, well, I want to give money for this. And it's like, well, that's not what I said I needed. <laughs> you know, you come ask me what I need. We've been saying we need this, we need this. And you're like, well, I want to fund this. And so now you have people who are trying to migrate themselves into this scope that they don't even want to be in just to get in the potential flow of money. So when when philanthropy comes down like that or when giving comes down like that, it what it does is that it, it keeps us from doing what we want to be doing. It keeps us from doing the things that we are passionate about and that we should be doing. Because in order for us to just literally just stay alive and survive, we're having to chase these organizations or these companies um, to fit into their box, right? And so it just, it, so there's a lot of control there, but there's also just like a sad lack of imagination. Wow. That you have people in these positions who, instead of, as, as um, a, a, a colleague of mine said, you know, instead of recreating or instead of creating and imagining something totally new, we basically end up recreating the same systems and schemes that we're railing against. And um, we have to be more thoughtful about that. So I hope that any initiative going forward totally divests from white supremacy, wholly divests from classism um, in a way that makes it more accessible to people who are living as they choose to live, as opposed to rewarding people who have somehow um, learned or managed to to somehow survive in like a, basically a, a deadly system. And so, Carver, what what do you have? What are the plans um, for Elevate in the future? What what are some you know some targets, some goals, and some you know things that you all are looking to do? Um, as we navigate through this pandemic continually of 2021 um, and going into 2022, what does the future look like for you? Pandemic Alabama, we outside. Um, <laughs> that's y'all of, of, of northern ways trying to be responsible. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> at the, we pivoted to B2B. Uh, so, you know, I'm working with organizations doing advising and some program design as well as co-creating experiences. Um, so we've been working with clients on a virtual conference. Um, we're also going to get into the business of pitching ideas to brands um, that we want to see happen. Um, so that's that's what you'll, you'll see, like more creativity, um, just thoughtful innovative ways to include creatives. Um, so like if you go to our website, you'll see that I believe, you know, we believe that any entrepreneurial ecosystem that is gonna be remotely equitable 
has to have a thriving and inclusive creative economy. Like that's just it. Because there is not a business that exists that does not include creatives at some point. That's just the way it is. Like you can't do nothing. <laughs> you can't do anything without the creatives. Um, shout out to the liberal arts, which always are under attack. Um, but that's all that saved us with the pandemic was concerts. It was it was Andrea Bocelli singing at an empty cathedral. It was D Nice spinning. It was black um, black actors and actresses doing those Zoom <laughs> those Zoom shows. You know, it was folks dancing. It was it was people being in parks. Those are the things that became really, really important to people when they couldn't go anywhere. And I just think it's it's an awesome reminder that these are things we cannot live without. We cannot live without. These are the things that define culture. This is what determines Southern culture versus Northern culture, or, you know, are you, you know, are you, you know, New York rap, are you Southern rap? And which South you talking about? You talk about Atlanta, you talk about Memphis, you talk about Houston, you talk about New Orleans. Like all of these things are what we eat, what we sound like, how we dress, how we wear our hair, all these things um, are the things that are valuable and that will be recorded to define who we are. Not our tech companies, more than likely. <laughs> and there's no shade to tech companies because I love tech. I do, we're using it right now. But I think we need to recenter ourselves around what is actually valuable to us as people. Um, and and support that because again nothing civilization does not exist without creatives it just doesn't it just doesn't it doesn't as a journalist and an author, three-time author uh i'm 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 proud to be a part of the creative community <laughs> so i totally get it and i think you are 100 percent on point. Uh, Carmen, I have enjoyed uh, talking to you, Miss I've been wanting to get this conversation, um, you and I having an in-depth conversation for a while, so I'm really glad we got an opportunity to talk because this is um, this is good stuff. I, I really, I'm going to probably end up sharing this on, um, on a couple of different platforms, but um, lastly, just tell us your, 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 your handles, where we can find you, and then tell us what you need as a business owner um, outside of capital. What do you need? Okay, well, my handle is at Carmen Mays MPA everywhere. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse. They finally let Androids on Clubhouse, y'all. So I'm at Carmen Mays MPA everywhere you want to see me, which is just four places at the moment. Clubhouse, which I don't, I don't even say anything yet, but just, just follow me. I, I get around to it. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn, so you can find me there as well. And um, one of the things that I need, um, I need introductions to folks in corporations, um, particularly like in your marketing departments or whatever, who really want to sponsor some dope creative events that are innovative stuff they ain't never seen or heard of before. Um, I need I need intros to those people so I can pitch them these ideas and we can do business together and you know bring our communities experiences that are affirming and enjoyable and uh, 
that'll make memories that'll last a lifetime. I love it. Memories that'll make a, that'll last, last a lifetime. I love it. Well, Carmen, thank you so much again um, for joining us on my BFF podcast, my Black Field, my Black Female Founders, and um, it has been an absolute pleasure. And I wish you nothing but the best, and I'll see you in the atmosphere. Yeah, I'll be out here. <laughs>